Um, if you would, take your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. If you'll think back with me, uh, for those that have been here and for those that uh, maybe you're visiting with us today, we do want to welcome you to our service. We've been going through the Gospel of John, and um, there we've come to a season in Jesus' uh, earthly ministry where there's a great um, contention between him and the religious leaders. He had uh, it started when he told the lame man sitting by the pool to uh, rise and walk and, and take up your bed, and uh, that was done on the Sabbath day, and they were offended by that. And, and so now Jesus is in this point of contention, and uh, in John chapter 7, we find him in the temple, and he is teaching. And there are people that are questioning, who is this guy? And um, do the religious leaders believe he is the Messiah? Uh, if they, or um, if not, why have they not killed him for his blasphemous um, speech? And then at the end of chapter 7, uh, there in the last verse, the Bible says, every man went unto his own house. And then we move into chapter 8. The Bible tells us that Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. So Jesus was there in the temple teaching and Everyone goes home, but Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. Matthew, in chapter 8, verse 20, if you'll remember with me, the, Jesus speaking to those that said, we want to follow you. Jesus himself said, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. You know, sometimes we would find that Jesus would stay with some friends like Lazarus and Mary and Martha in their homes, but he did not own a place. And so many times we find that Jesus um, is there uh, in the Mount of Olives. He's there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is kind of where I picture him most of the time uh, there under the trees, um, maybe up um, praying to the Father, uh, they're looking up at the night sky, maybe there with his disciples and uh, just having conversation, having opportunity to, to talk with the Lord. But, but if you'll think with me for just a moment, most of the time that we see Jesus, we have him um, in this moment, in this picture, in this snapshot. Um, but this is just a moment of time in the three and a half years of his ministry and his life. Um, but there were several days, several weeks, even months in between some of the scenes that we see in the life of Christ. And so much of his life um, was found separate from the crowd, separate from the multitudes, not doing uh, great miracles, but maybe just there in the garden um, of Gethsemane or wherever he finds to, to lay his head down. But the Bible tells us here in chapter 8 that early in the next morning he comes back uh, to the temple. Now the temple had different courtyards and Jesus was probably in what was known as the court of of women, it would be one of the outer courtyards, and it would be here in this courtyard that they would have uh, trumpet-shaped coffers. And this is probably the same courtyard where uh, we see Jesus when he is referencing the widow that gives her her two mites. But Jesus is there in the courtyard, and obviously people are up, and the day is beginning, and they're making their way back. And many of the people come back, and they find Jesus. And the Bible tells us here that he sits down. I think it's interesting, a lot of times when you see Jesus um, in the Bible, he sits down to teach. Did you know that lots of times in Jesus' day, the preacher sat down and everybody else stood up, all right? I think that would be a good trial run, maybe one Sunday. Um, I sit down, you know, you say, man, the pastor, he just preaches so long, you know, and you're sitting here in these nice cushy chairs and uh, great air conditioning, let's switch it and we'll see how long I preach uh, when I'm sitting and you're standing up. But Jesus sits down and he begins to, he begins to teach 
these people. Now in John chapter 8, this is a, a very important passage of scripture because I truly believe that this is one of the places of many that we see the heart of the Lord towards sinners. When you examine the life of Christ, you see that Jesus was filled with compassion. He was filled with kindness. But we see that his life and his ministry was focused on people. Jesus in his life and ministry, everywhere he went, was focused on people. You know, that's contrary to many Christians today, many religious leaders throughout history. And it's even contrary to us most of the time in our lives. We get so wrapped up in, in the problems. We get wrapped up in the, the situation. We get wrapped up in the struggles of life. We get wrapped up in policies and principles and everything else. And oftentimes we lose sight of, of the people. You know, what, what is the church? What is the body of Christ? What is the body of Christ made up? It's made up of saved individuals, saved people. People is a priority of the ministry of Christ, and we're going to see that uh, throughout his ministry. But I really believe we see his heart towards people here in John chapter, John chapter 8. Now, we're going to see that Jesus deals with sin. I don't believe Jesus was ever soft on sin. He's not enabling. And rather, he, he commands this lady, as he does many people in Scripture, after he deals with them in their sin, to go and, and sin no more. But Jesus is not only going to deal, I believe, with the sin of this woman taken in adultery, but he's also going to deal with the sin of those that are accusing her. And we'll see that here in just a few minutes. We will see that this lady calls him Lord. I think that's very important. She understood at some point in this interaction who Jesus was and, and references even to him as, as Lord. But Jesus is now teaching here in John chapter 8. He's sitting there teaching, and, and these religious leaders come to Christ with this woman that was taken in adultery. The Bible says they're in the very act. Now, in this situation, I believe we're going to see some very important truths that we can apply to our life. But the great thing that we're going to see is how does Jesus deal with sinners? Can I ask you today, how do you deal with sinners? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to meet today. And, and Lord, I thank you for the cross of Calvary. And Lord, I thank you for what Matthew sang about just a few moments ago of your faithfulness. And Lord, I thank you that you were faithful to go to the cross and pay for my sin. And Lord, you're faithful to walk with me day by day. And you're faithful for, to forgive those that trust in you. And Lord, I pray today that as we uh, look at your word, that your spirit would use it in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, if we're really being honest with ourselves, uh, we're, we're, we're pretty much judgmental most of the time. I mean, we, we do our best to, you know, be, you know, good Christians and, you know, we got to love the uh, sinner but hate the sin. That's kind of language we use. You're never going to see that, the, that language in the Bible, but that's kind of the language we use and kind of our mantra today. But the truth is, is we, we're, we're kind of judgmental people. We, we see people and we're, 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 we're not concerned about them. We're, we're concerned about us. We're, we're concerned about how we compare with them. We're concerned as to whether or not they're going to contaminate us um, or make us look bad or something like that or, or maybe even rub off on us. And, and so our, when we see people, we don't oftentimes see them. We see their problems. We see their struggles in order to condemn them or, or to, to judge them, if I could. And 
when we see the Lord, he, he does deal with sin. Everywhere you go, he deals with people's sin. But first and foremost, he sees the, the people. There's three ways that I, that I see in this passage of Scripture that we can deal with sinners. And I want to point them out to you and then close with some principles of application to us in our life. Number one, we see the way of the religious leaders or the pious people. In verses 1 through 6, or verse 2 through 6, one says he went to the Mount of Olives. Two, he comes back in the morning. He came again to the temple and all the people came unto him and sat down. And he sat down and he taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees, so these religious leaders, brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. So really what they were saying is, listen, there's no doubt about this lady is sinful, and this is the sinful act that she was involved in, and we caught her red-handed. I think that's going to be important here in just a moment. Now Moses, they say in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. So the first thing we see here is how do religious, these religious leaders, these pious, so-called spiritual people deal with this particular sinner? Well, we have to understand they had an agenda. They had an agenda. And can I be honest with you? Most people that don't love God, that aren't living according to the Bible, but they want to be religious and pious and be perceived as spiritual, have an agenda in their life. And these people, they have an agenda. And we see that in several different ways uh, here in this passage. First of all, we have to ask the question, and really we should all ask the question, well, if, if this lady was caught in the very act, then where was the man, Right? I mean, all of you ladies should be asking that question. I mean, wait, wait a minute. Why is the lady being brought? Where, where was the man? Because they're going to reference the Old Testament law. And when you examine what the law says, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, Deuteronomy 22, verse 22, when you go back to the law, the Bible says that the man and the woman should be put to death for the sin of adultery. But I want to encourage you with this today. They didn't care about this woman's sin. But they had an agenda, and they were trying to tempt Jesus. They were trying to tempt Jesus. I want you to understand, not only did they not care about this woman's sin, but they did not care about the woman. You say, why do you say that? Think about what was at stake here. First of all, the woman's life was at stake. Jesus' response would determine whether she lived or died. Jesus had been preaching forgiveness, and if he says then to kill her and follow the Old Testament law, then he wouldn't be practicing what he's preaching, but they were hoping that he would say then kill her so he would be discredited and his message would be discredited. But if then he said to forgive her, then he would be going against the law of Moses, and he'd be speaking against the law and so we see here that since the really going back a few chapters, since Jesus um, healed that lame man, they've been looking for a way to kill Jesus. So not only was her life at stake, but the life of Jesus was at stake. These guys were looking to kill somebody today and take somebody's life. They didn't care about the people that were involved. They had their religious agenda, their religious process, their religious thought, and that's all they were concerned about. This isn't the first time that they tried, tried to tempt Jesus. If you'll remember with me, 
they come to Jesus and they ask him, is it okay for us to pay taxes? And they were hoping to catch Jesus there, and, and Jesus tells them to give him a coin, and he takes the coin, and he looks at the inscription, and he tells them, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and, and give unto God what, what is God's. And they were amazed at his answer. Another time, there was a woman that had five husbands, and they had died, and they asked Jesus, who is going to be her husband in, um, in the kingdom? And, they, and Jesus tells them that you, you got this whole thing all wrong. You do err. And the fact that you're not given and taken in, in marriage. And again, they were, were in awe. But here's what I want you to understand from this passage of Scripture today. And, and when we think about the way that religious leaders, pious, not spiritual, not Christians, not people that are following the Lord and, and treating people like the Lord, we'll come back to that. When, when you fall into the hands or to the judgment of, of self-righteous sinners... It's a terrible thing because, see, most of the time they're, they're blinded to their own sin. This is what Jesus gets at in, in Matthew chapter 7 when the Bible tells us, Judge not that ye be not judged, probably the most quoted passage of Scripture that is misquoted um, in the world today. But Jesus says, Judge not that ye be not judged, but he goes on to say there, then that you are to uh, remove, or deal with the um, sliver and the moat. And he says, You're so concerned with what their sin is and not dealing with your own sin. The sliver in their eye, and yet you have a board or a moat in, in your own eye. You see, the truth is religion gets caught up in the sins of others and forgets theirs. Religion and religious leaders, as they deal with the sinner, and they're so consumed with dealing with that individual, they, they forget about their own sin. They forget the Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. They forget Galatians chapter 6 when the Bible says, when, when someone is overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, if you truly are spiritual, then your desire should be to restore that individual in the spirit of meekness, not beat them down and make them feel bad about themselves or even, even take them, their own life or, or kick them out. You see, when, when we are so focused on the sin of other people, it's easy for us to be critical and holier than thou. We look at, well, I would never, I would never do that, and I would never go there, and I would never say that. We can look at someone else's life, and we see their sinfulness, but we, we fail to see our own. But the truth is, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we're not to have a judgmental and critical attitude. You see, when it comes to religion, Luke chapter 11, verse 52 says that they, were take, they had taken away the, king, the key of the kingdom and entered not in. And it goes on to say that they prevent others from entering in. My friend, there's no hope in religion. And this religious group had only condemnation because they had an agenda that they wanted to satisfy. And really, that's what religion is. It's, it's condemnation. It's not freedom from sin. It's not being made right with God. It's not, it's not any of the things that we read about that God wants us to have or to be in the Bible, but it's simply condemnation. And so the way of the religious leader was to fulfill their agenda, to do things their way. You know, it's interesting. We often talk about 
in life how we're so different. And isn't it amazing how different we are and how different personalities we have? I mean, you know, I, I mean, I would love to be able to sing, and I would love to have some different abilities and talents that I that I don't have, and and um, like that. But if everybody just did the same thing and everybody was exactly the same way, I mean, life would be pretty boring, and we would, you know, be miserable in that because we like to find misery in everything and and those type of things, and and you know, we we like to see all the bad and and the negative and and all of those type of things, and you know, we're all different. But we struggle to allow people to be different. Isn't that right? I mean, we, str- we, we know we're all different. We all have different ways of doing things, different, even different opinions and thoughts. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, fi- the solid doctrine of Scripture and the truths that are right there before us. I'm not, I'm not talking about anything like that. But there's just some differences about us. You know, you take, for instance, you know, how you cut your hair. You know, a lot of times... People say, man, that's a beautiful haircut. And then you get away and like, did you see that haircut? I mean, that's just, I would never cut my hair like that. And that's, you know, we, we like to judge people on things that they do differently than we do. And I know that's superficial, and, and, but we do that in so many arenas in our life. I learned a long time ago that not everybody's going to be right like I am. And I have to deal with that. And I have to struggle with that. That's just a burden that I have in my life. And, and you know, but, but it's okay. And we can be friends and we can get along. And there's some truths that we're, I'm going to stand on and I'm going to have to separate over. But there's some things that we're just going to be different about. And, and that's, that's okay. We don't want people to be different than us. And that's what religion causes. We kind of set up these laws and these standards. And we're going to come back to even that thought here in just a moment. But, like, it's like if you don't meet every, you know, every box and check or check every box that I have set up, then, you know, we can't have a relationship and you're not right and all those type of things. It's because we have an agenda oftentimes. It's our way or, or, or there's no way. So number one, we see the way of these religious leaders. They, they just had an agenda. They were there about condemnation. They wanted to condemn Jesus. They wanted to condemn this lady. Number two, we see the way of the law. Verse, verse number five. Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. We see here that Moses had written this law. And and when we begin to study scripture and um, examine what the Bible says about the law, we see very quickly that the law brings condemnation. Now, again, they were trying to tempt Jesus, and, and they were going to use God's law. They were going to use Jesus' own word against them. And religion can't help. Um, so um, what I'm going to do is then I'm going I'm to run to the law so often, if I could. Um, the Bible is very clear that the law saves no one, and it's not the purpose of the law. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Justified means to have our sins forgiven. Um, to be made righteous in the sight of God. And so the works of the law can't do that. But what they were coming back to was now, okay, let's compare everything uh, then to, to the law. The law can only condemn us. You can't be righteous by keeping the law. And can I say you can't be righteous by keeping God's law, but also you can't be righteous by keeping your law. You know, the day in which we live in today, a lot of people talk about the law, but most people, when they are talking about the law, aren't referring to the Old Testament. And, and th- this has been happening since Jesus' day. Because if you'll look back at Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees, 
um, Jesus has to deal with them with this very issue. He says, well, you know, you're making or adding to the law. You're adding your own standards, your own way of doing things uh, to, to God's law. You're not following God's law. And we do the same thing in our world today. Even, at, even as the church, we set up our own standards, our own laws, and, and we, you know, and, and I'm all for biblical principles, and I'm for standards, and I'm for, you know, doing things according to, to the Bible, but we have to be very careful, be very honest with ourselves and with others when we start setting up our own law. Your law isn't going to make me righteous. You know, there's a lot of things, a lot of expectations that people have of of pastors or religious leaders, and I understand that, and I'm comfortable with that. Um, but your standards and law aren't going to make me right with God. Your expectations of me and my position aren't going to make me right with God. Neither are my expectations or standards going to make you right with God. And so the law is going to condemn, whether that's the law of the Old Testament or is the law that you set up. The purpose of the law, according to Revelation or excuse me, Romans three verse twenty, is to reveal our sin. It's kind of like a, a mirror. When we look into a mirror, what do we see? We see our flaws. Can I encourage you with this? When you look into a mirror and you see the flaws that you have, it's not the mirror's fault. What do we say? Well, I'm going to go get me a different mirror. There's obviously something wrong with this one. And I'm going to go look into this mirror. And, and guess what? The flaw is still going to be there. When we look into the word of God, the issue isn't God's word. The issue is us. We, we are all sinners. The law of God shows us that we are sinners, and, and that's what Paul means when he says the law is your schoolmaster. And, and the, the, the goal is for the law to help you understand that you're a sinful person and that you need a Savior and to bring you to Jesus Christ. Christianity, though, is not a, a code of conduct. It's not a ceremony. It's not a church service. But it's Christ, and it's about a personal relationship with him. You see, how do we deal with sin? Well, the religious leaders said, we're going we're gonna to bring condemnation. We're going to meet our agenda. Or if we can't do that, then we're going to bring up the law. And we're going to compare you to the law. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, in our world today, you know, we like to do that. We, we look at people's life and we, we, we compare them to the law. You know, I'm never shocked when an unbeliever uses bad language. I'm, I'm never shocked when an unbeliever is a drunkard or, or, or does drugs. Or, uh, I'm, never, I'm not shocked with the way that people in our world live today. Now, I understand some of you are of a, of a certain age. That's all I'm going to say and leave it there. You're of a certain age where culture was a little bit different. And, and, you know, many of the things were being done, they just weren't done in the public square the way they are today. They weren't so prevalent and right there in your face as they are today. These sins have been happening since the beginning of time, or since Adam and Eve fell, I should say. Um, but it was hidden in our American culture, and now today it's, you know, we're, we're talking about it, it's out there on TV. You know, it's funny, you know, people... We preach in along and I'll say something about adultery or something and people are like, well, you shouldn't talk about that in mixed company and, or there's kids and teenagers. Listen, your teenagers are seeing a lot worse in the society today just driving down the street and looking at a billboard than what we're talking about here in church, all right? Let's be honest. And we want to protect them and say, oh, well, be careful, you know, they're innocent, all that. Listen, none of you are, all right? And your kids aren't either. I very, I'm, listen, it's out there in the public square and it's right there before us. But as Christians, we're often shocked like, I'm just amazed that they would do that. Why? They're unbelievers. 
They're ungodly. And what we're doing is we're saying, well, this is our standard of living. This is our law. This is how we expect people to live. Hey, listen, they're not, they could care less about the word of God. And they definitely can care less about your law, your standards, or, or even mine. And so these religious leaders were saying, okay, we're going to compare this lady now to, to the law. And sometimes we do the same thing. We want to, well, and so what happens is, is people say, well, you know, I'm not good enough to be saved. Because I, I can't keep your standard. I, I can't go to church every Sunday. And I, I can't change my language. Or, or when I stop doing this activity or that activity, then I'll become a Christian. Listen, none, your laws, my laws can't save people. And listen, you, can't, you don't need to wait until you stop doing something to get saved. That has nothing to do with your salvation. You need to get saved and in the power of God, he'll help you overcome those sins and help you remove those from your life. We get so wrapped up in, the, in, in expecting people to live a certain way and act a certain way when really they need Jesus. You know, we're so offended by the way that they're living and the way that they're talking here in this world. And, and so we don't go and share the gospel with them. Listen, they need to get saved and God and his, and his power can help them in their life after that. Don't put this expectation on people in their life. Well, number three, we come to the main point of our message today, the way of the Savior. How does Jesus deal with not only this lady, but this group of people that brought her to him? Look with me, if you would, verse 6. The Bible says that Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he had heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And then again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning the eldest even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. We see Jesus writes on the ground. Now we don't know what he wrote. We don't know why he wrote on the ground. Some say that he, he bent over and wrote on the ground, buying time, trying to figure out what he was going to say or how he was going to deal with these people. And I, I don't believe that is true at all. But the Bible says that they pressed him and they kept asking. And so Jesus, notice he doesn't argue with them about the law. He doesn't argue with them about the law of Moses or, or he doesn't even deal with them according to their agenda. But he goes right to the heart of the issue. You that are without sin, they're all sinners. You know, we love to, to justify our own sin. Our sin's not as, as bad as, as your sin. But you know, Jesus knows their hearts. He, he knew their lives. He knows our hearts. He knows our lives. It's amazing how we write off or justify our sin, but we focus on the other other people's sin. And so we see here that Jesus begins to, to write, and the Bible tells us that they begin to leave. Now, I, I don't know what Jesus wrote there, and, um, but you know there are sins that we have in our life. You know, there's sins of the flesh, committing adultery and murder, but there's sins of the Spirit as well. The Bible tells us if you hate your brother, you've committed a murder already. If you look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed that sin uh, in your heart. And so I don't know what Jesus did, um, but he, write, he goes down and he writes. Some say that he wrote the Ten Commandments, uh, maybe even wrote their names of those that were there. 
Some say that he just started writing down their sins. But whatever it was, I want you to notice what the Bible says. As he wrote this, verse 9, they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience. So somewhere in here he deals with their sin. They knew they had sin and they were convicted when they saw what he wrote and when they heard the words that he said. The Bible says no one, no one threw a stone and they all left from the eldest to the youngest. Why in that order? I have no idea. Some say that the younger were hard, more hard than the older and, and the younger just followed the example. Well, I don't know what it was. But what I do know is that Jesus dealt with their sin in that moment because God's spirit began to convict them of their sin. But as we finish up, I want you to notice what the Bible tells us in verse 9. They all leave and now Jesus is here with this woman. And so now we see this interaction between Jesus and the woman. He dealt with their sin, and now we're going to see Jesus' interaction with this woman. He was there and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. How do we deal with sin? Can I submit to you, we should deal with sin exactly the way that Jesus dealt with her sin. First of all, we see Jesus had mercy. Jesus had mercy. What did the woman deserve because of her sin? It's the same thing that we all deserve because of our sin. We deserve condemnation. Sin brings death. That is the end of sin. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not what? Perish. We should not die if we are in Jesus Christ. And so we see God's mercy. Jesus didn't condemn the woman. Jesus didn't say you need to be put to death. And so he extended mercy to this woman in the same way that he does to us. We see number two, Jesus' compassion. Jesus' compassion. Here was a woman taken in this grievous sin, and let me tell you, this sin was a lot worse, and that, let me, it was seen, or it was considered a lot worse in that day than it is today. I know we don't think about adultery that, as big, that big of a deal in our society today, but can I tell you, it is to God. It is to God. This was a heinous sin in the eyes of God, to the point where when you go back to the Old Testament law, they were to be put to death for it. Now, in Jesus' day, they weren't killing people for it. And today, they're obvious, not only are they not killing people for it, but they're glorifying it in our world today. But Jesus had compassion on this woman. Here was a woman that was lost. She needed a Savior. I love when you read through Scripture and the Bible says Jesus lifted up his eyes and he had compassion. Not condemnation. Not I'm going to get justice and I'm going to bring judgment but he had compassion. He tells us to look as the, the, the fields are wide unto harvest. You know, we think about harvest, you think about uh, just a, a peaceful time, a, a profitable time where you're bringing in the, the goods and you're reaping what you've sowed, not judgment and, and death. Jesus looked at this woman and asked her, where, where are your accusers? And he says, no one's there to con condemn me. And Jesus says, neither do I. He had compassion. We also see his grace. 
We also see his grace. Jesus offers this woman forgiveness here in this passage. She says in verse 11, No man, Lord. No man, Lord. She obviously come to understand who Jesus was and received the, the grace of God in her life. Now, there's a lot of skeptics and questions. Is she saved at this point? And I, I don't know her heart, but I'm willing to bet that she was, that she received Jesus at that moment. She understood who this man was, and she understood what she, he was doing for her. But I want you to see that Jesus offers her hope. Jesus offers her hope. He tells her, neither do I condemn thee. So your sins are forgiven. But then he says, go and sin no more. This is one of the reasons I believe that she was saved, is she now has the ability to go and sin no more. Don't, don't live in this lifestyle any longer. But I also think he, he's helping her to understand, and maybe this is something we should understand, that there's going to come a time when you're going to be judged from, uh, you're going to have to stand before me again at the judgment seat of Christ, and, and I'm, I'm going to judge you from this point forward. You know, listen, I, there's no condemnation to them that are in Jesus Christ. That is, that is so true. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have an eternal home in heaven. But can I tell you, from that moment you got saved, there's some expectations on your life. There's an expectation that you're going to live according to the Bible and that you're going to live for God and you're going to glorify him with your life and you're going to flee sin and, and seek the truth and righteousness and, and you're going to share the gospel and you're going to honor him with your life. There's some expectations. You're to go and sin no more. We live in a culture, in a, in a church culture today in our society where it's like, hey, I'm saved so I can do whatever I want. No, that's so contrary to scripture. I'm saved so now I can live for God and honor him and stand for him in this world because one day I'm going to stand before him again and I'm going to have to give an account for my life. Well, you say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. We love to sing that, don't we? Well, I mean, I can't help it. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know, the Bible says, go and sin no more. That's what Jesus says to her. Listen, go and sin no more. Your flesh is weak, but what? The spirit is ready. The spirit is willing. The spirit is able. And we need to stop living in our flesh and start living for God and walking in the spirit as the, the Bible tells us and teaches us to go and sin no more. The truth is there is now a difference in this lady's life. You don't have to live the way you used to live because my hope is in Jesus and I'm going to live with expectancy that Jesus is coming back and I'm going to see him face to face again. How can Jesus say this to her? You know, the basis of this is, is for her still future. Just a few months away, Jesus is going to die and go to the cross. And that's the same reason Jesus can say to us today, eternal life is found in him and him alone. And when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we can live in the Spirit and, and we're going to be different people. And he can say to us, go and sin no more. You see, our hope at that point is in Jesus Christ. It's not our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness in us. And so the question is, how do we treat people? How do we view the sinner? How do we interact with them? Are we pious? Are we religious? It's just, well, I can't be contaminated. Or we're going to use the law and we're going to judge you and we're going to condemn you. Or 
are we like the Savior who dealt not only with the sin of adultery, but whatever sin these other people had in their life. Sin is sin before God. But as a Savior who showed compassion, mercy, and grace, you know the most wicked sinner that you interact with this week needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that's God's desire for you in your life, for me in my life. Not to condemn people where they are, not to, to retreat from where they are, but to come and show them the love, the compassion, the grace of God that is offered freely through Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't write her off. He didn't kill her, but he loved her. And that's what God has called us to do. You know, we have to get over our pious, religious mindset and see people, not, not their problems, because let's be honest, we all have problems. Not our shortcomings, we all have them. But to see people where they are. And see people for what they need. These are souls that God loved, that Christ died for. That the church is to go to. That's what Jesus did when these pious religious people brought him. He showed compassion, grace, and mercy, and love. The worst person you're going to see this week needs the same thing. And they need you, and God has called you, and God has called me to go to these people.